everyone. Liz Collin here. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Liz Collin Reports. It's a place where we will tackle some tough Minnesota topics, hear from newsmakers about things you need to know, and bring some voices to the table that are typically set aside or silenced for pushing back against the popular narrative. Meaningful Minnesota Conversations. And that leads us right into today's guest. You likely know them for their social media posts reporting hour by hour what's really happening across the Twin Cities, and specifically Minneapolis, when it comes to crime. Crime Watch Minneapolis doesn't hold back, going after politicians, the mainstream media, and the so-called justice system, while pointing out the problems leading to the danger we're seeing play out all across the metro. While suggesting people follow Crime Watch, one writer also issued a warning to say that adding Crime Watch Minneapolis to your regular reading can lead to depression. The truth about what's happening in our cities is overwhelming, the writer said, but it needs to be told. And I couldn't agree more. So with that, I would like to welcome the person behind Crime Watch to the program. First of all, thank you for joining us and being willing to speak out. Now, I think our audience is going to notice right away that you're going to sound a little weird. We want to explain that. We are doing this off camera today because of safety concerns that you voiced to us and wanting to conceal your identity. And I was hoping you'd explain that to begin with here what you've had to deal with, with putting these posts out there. It certainly hasn't been an easy road to report the truth, has it? So, um, right. So I've been doing Crime Watch for 12 years now, coming up on 12 years this fall. And of course, I report on dangerous people, violent criminals. So they don't like me. Their families don't like me. There are a lot of um, political players out there, people in the social justice community that don't like what I'm posting about. They don't uh, want me promoting more jail time for criminals or calling out criminals uh, for the crimes they're doing. So I've had threats, direct threats, death threats. So I do try to conceal my identity. All good reasons to remain anonymous. And take us back to how this all started. I know this all came about long before the day and age of social media. Well, um, I've been involved in public safety activism since the mid-2000s, which is just about the time, you know, social media started burgeoning, you know, Facebook and Twitter were born around the mid-2000s. But I launched Crime Watch around 2010, and I would say that social media was in full swing at that point. And so I did uh, launch uh, Crime Watch in 2010 with just one Facebook page in the neighborhood where I live, and it came about because... At the time, you could sign up with the Minneapolis Police Department to be notified about crimes that were happening in your immediate neighborhood. Well, I came to find out that my neighbor had had their garage broken into and a bicycle stolen. And I was like, why didn't I hear about this? Why didn't I get the email that I was supposed to be getting about this? And it it made me mad. And I wanted to know what was happening in my neighborhood. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do this. And so I I started the Facebook page. And I thought, I envisioned it would be a place where People could uh, post about what happened in the neighborhood and people could be informed and whatnot. It just kind of grew out from that. So So 12 years ago, speaking of growing out from that, 12 years ago, one Facebook page. And what have you grown to now when it comes to your platforms and how many followers you have? So, yeah, started with one Facebook page uh, in, like I said, in I have them split up now into the five precincts of Minneapolis. So the one I started started in my um, neighborhood in the precinct where I live. And um, I soon realized that, you know, everybody wants to know what's going on. So I 
over the next few months, launched a page for each of the five Minneapolis precincts, downtown Minneapolis, the two south Minneapolis precincts, north Minneapolis, and then the second precinct, north, uh, northeast and southeast Minneapolis, the M area. And um, I, I thought, you know, people want to know what's going on in their neighborhood. If you live in south Minneapolis and Linden Hills, you don't necessarily want to have your feed filled up with what's going on in north Minneapolis. It might not be important to you. So that's why I split them all up. And then also, uh, I think a few years ago, I, I did a general Twin Cities page because people wanted to know about the suburbs. So that came about. I have a page specifically for predatory offenders or about sex offenders and whatnot on that. So I think I have about 10 Facebook pages at last count, I can't remember, and uh, and the Twitter, the Twitter account. So, so yeah, it's, it's grown quite a bit. Okay, you don't seem to want to give yourself credit, but you have about 300,000 followers. It's at least that, yes. Um, it, it's grown into quite a bit. Now, as I explained previously, there's some crossover on the various Facebook pages. Some people like one page, some people like five. So at last count, there was it was nearing 400,000 total followers across the page. You have to account for the crossover, people who like multiple pages. So I think I'm comfortable saying that all in all, it's probably at least 300,000 followers across Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, I've got Instagram and, and whatnot. Too. A lot. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of people are wondering, too, why you do this. You just, you know, just talking to you even for a few minutes, you can tell this is something you're you're passionate about, but you really are relentless. Well, yes. And I think that, you know, you could use the word obsessed. That's OK. Um, I I'm a public safety advocate. I'm a law and order kind of person, and I'm not afraid to say that. I think that's OK. I think that criminals need to be held accountable. I've in this position, I'll just call it this position of what I'm doing here with Crime Watch, I've come to learn so much over the years of how our system is not working and people are not being held accountable. And it's driving me more and more to tell people this system isn't working. People are being more and more victimized by this lax criminal justice system. So it's my goal, it's my obsession to let people know about that and how it's not working. And I think that's great because we're going to let you highlight some cases that you've uncovered and really followed from the very beginning uh, to point that out because people, you're right, need, need to know. And I know you don't want to give away any secrets here today, Crime Watch, but I think people also are wondering, how the heck do you do this? You don't want to give away any secrets, but... Are you sleeping with a you know scanner under your pillow? Are you even sleeping at all? Um, where are you getting this information? I don't get a lot of sleep. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, I, I have a funny story, and I've alluded to this a couple of times um, on on the Twitter page at least. Uh, there's one reporter from our uh, so-called uh, newspaper of record here in the cities that constantly is messaging me and asking me where I got my information. I mean, more than once or twice, a handful of times he's messaged me and I've ignored him every time. I'm like, I'm doing your job and you have the gall to message me and ask me for my sources. So it's just funny, but it's just been years and years of developing, finding where I can find information. I do have a couple of what I'll call secrets that I can't believe that the media hasn't figured out how I'm getting some coming up with it. So... 
Um, yeah, I've developed sources. And then especially in the last two or three years, I know as the, my followership has grown, obviously since um, the post-COVID and post-riots, crime surge and everything, I think that people are coming to see that I can be trusted, I've got integrity, you know, if I'm wrong, I'll post about it. But, you know, it's not too often I get something wrong. If I do, I'm willing to correct it. But I've got a lot of people coming to me now, like, who are in the system, working in the system, cops, investigators, people working in Hennepin County at the ver at various other county agencies coming to me now with information that they want me to get out because they don't like the way the system's working either. So I have developed, you know, kind of a list of, black, like, actual, you know, physical personal sources who are, who are helping uh, with information as well. That's powerful. They want to see changes made too, and they feel the public right. needs to know. And then, of course, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff that I post that everybody sees and wants to know about the, the incidents happening, of course, that comes from police scanners, which, you know, I'm lucky I have a job that I can work at home, so people are wondering how I do this. It's just like having a radio on in the background. It just plays in the background. When I hear something happening, it gets posted. It's not like I'm sitting in... In my basement, with, you know, surrounded by scanners and computers and everything. That's not how it works. It's just I live my life and um, I'm lucky enough to have a flexible schedule that I can I can do this. Amazing. And I know your focus is real time information, up to date information. And you've seen again and again how that's made a difference in cases. It's totally made a difference. Um, I can't even count the number of times people have messaged me and, and told me, oh, I got my bike back because of you, or they found my car because of the post that you made, or one really powerful thing, a lady messaged me last year, and she said, I saw your post about that police pursuit that was coming through our neighborhood, and I quick went outside and grabbed my kids and brought them inside. So, I mean, it's just stuff like that, and I'll have people message me, I work downtown, thank you so much for letting me know when something's going on. I've learned to, you know, watch my six or, you know, pay attention to my surroundings because of what's going on. I, I don't pull up too close to the car in front of me now anymore because of your posts. I let me know what's going on and I really value that. So I'm glad people let me know that. And it's really important to me and it's really gratifying to know that people take it to that level and they're looking out for their own safety because of it. Now I want to dig into what the heck is going on crime-wise, not just in Minneapolis and St. Paul, but across the Twin Cities. And from where you sit, you likely know better than anyone else. Crime is at historic levels. Minneapolis recorded 97 homicides last year, tying the all-time record set more than 20 years ago. St. Paul, there were 38 homicides, the most ever. How difficult from where you sit has this been to watch? And what do you want people to know about What's really going on? Well, it is hard. Um, and I want people to know, the point I want to make is that the violent crime started edging up before the COVID lockdowns and the restrictions and the riots. And the violent crime started edging up in 2019, and I was posting about all of that. Um, but I think what we've seen happen here, this did not come suddenly. This did not come out of the vacuum. It didn't come out of the lockdowns or the riots. This was a boiling pot ready to boil over, and that was just the tipping point that sent all this out there. We have a weak criminal justice system in, in Minnesota, in the entire state, and on top of that, extra weak um, county prosecutions that keep spinning criminals through the revolving door. So then you get to a point where you've got these um, government restrictions because of the COVID lockdowns, people aren't working, 
you've got all these people who probably should have been in jail who are out there now taking advantage of the situation and it's just and then obviously the riots and so this didn't this didn't come out of nowhere this has been boiling for a long time and it, it is extra frustrating because like i said in 2019 before all of this started i kind of felt like i was making progress on the social media and helping educate people about how the system was working. And I really <laughs> naively thought, I, we might turn a corner here. Maybe people will get smart and we can get some things changed here. And then all hell broke loose. So, uh, and we just took so many steps backward with them letting people out of prisons, not wanting to prosecute people because of COVID, you know. It's, it's not publicized, but there are plenty of cases that simply just didn't even get prosecuted because the prosecutors waved it off that they were just so overwhelmed with everything that was going on. So you get a lot of people committing crimes that weren't even being looked at for prosecution. And then if they were arrested or prosecuted, they were spun out of the jail right away because of the COVID precautions. So it's just it's just a nightmare. And that's the whole point that I sometimes see you make. This didn't have to happen. This didn't have to happen. This didn't have to happen. And let's talk about the carjacking crisis, specifically when we're talking about the crime spree. Uh, You were the first (laughs) to point to point this out um, on social media. But more than 600 carjackings in total last year in Minneapolis, 101 in St. Paul. Sadly, we know the year right now isn't looking much better. And you've uncovered a lot when it comes to this particular crime wave. What do you want people to know about why this has been allowed to happen and also what people can do to protect themselves? Because I do feel like it's sort of on us at this point. Well, I should just touch on the protection thing to begin with, people's personal safety. And I get asked this all the time. You know, people, visitors from out of town will message me and say, I'm coming to Minneapolis, what do I need to do? And I tell everybody, just be situationally aware. Give yourself space. Do not let any strangers get in your space for any reason at all. None. Don't roll down your window if somebody's knocking at it. Leave space in front of your car to get out. Be aware of somebody bumper tapping you from behind, trying to get you out of your car on the premise of a fender bender or something. Drive to a safe place, drive to a precinct. Just be really safe, be situationally aware, be aware when you're getting in and out of your car, um, of people approaching you, don't hold your phone in your hand when you're out in public, don't hang your purse on a chair, those kind of things. So that, um, what was the second part of the question? Things that we never really even had to think about before, but just focusing on um, why this has been allowed to happen. Well, with the carjacking thing in particular, and I've said this over and over, there may certainly be some groups of kids out there that are doing this for fun or crimes of opportunity or something, but I I genuinely believe there's a terrorism component to a lot of this that's going on. You've got, and the police know who the people are who are doing this. It's virtually boils down to these repeat offenders, a group of what they say, 50 uh, young people to early adults or whatever. And I, I just really believe there's a, a true terror component to it that they want to terrorize um, the victims. If you look at some of the areas and people that are being terror, uh, terrorized or targeted, they're going after older women in nicer neighborhoods. They're using gratuitous violence on these women. These women are going to give up their cars. 
You don't need to kick them in the face. So it's really all about just terrorizing, inflicting terrorism, terror on the victims. And I think that's born out of some really irresponsible rhetoric coming from people in leadership positions. You know, you've got people in leadership positions hammering into young people that they're victims, that they're oppressed, that they're owed something. And so these young people who probably can't think clearly in the first place are being hammered with these messages of, you need to get revenge, you're owed something. And so they go out on these terror sprees. That's really what I, I believe a lot of it boils down to. And I think that's, I could be proven right on that if, if anybody would be willing to step up and really talk about that from within the system. I, I think it's a well-known fact. And you've posted about how social media being a component of this as well. We're living in a society now where these kids want to brag about what they're doing. They're not keeping this a secret in, in many cases. Um, and you've tracked that too. I have followed some of uh, those accounts and people are always asking me, why do you let these little, I'll just use the words, these gangbangers and bugs and whatnot comment on your posts. And I'm like, well, Cops look at my pages, and so if it helps them make a connection to these kids who are bragging about this and laughing about it, then so be it. I'm going to leave their posts and their comments up there so that they can be, you know, hopefully tracked down at some point. But I, I think, you know, these kids that are flashing and bragging on social media, they simply know that there are no consequences, and that's been proven as well. Sheriff Bob Fletcher's been really vocal on this, you know, Ramsey County Sheriff Bob Fletcher. There are no consequences for these juveniles. They get brought to the facility and they can essentially walk out an open door. There's nothing holding them there. And they're out committing crimes the same afternoon they were arrested earlier. If there is even a facility to put them in. Right. That's a that's a whole other issue with, with space uh, when it comes to the justice system in Minnesota. And that leads us into that revolving door that you alluded to before, Minnesota's justice system. That's always like air quotes I'm doing right now, I suppose. <laughs> but I know a frequent topic of your posts, uh, people with many past felony charges allowed to commit more crimes, let out with light sentences. I know just recently you highlighted the story of Derek Fassig. This is a man accused of recently kidnapping a woman at gunpoint in Minneapolis, charged with three prior felony convictions for basically doing the same thing five years ago. What do you know about the revolving door and why has that been allowed to continue? So the revolving door is a vast topic, and we could talk about that um, a lot and go down a lot of different roads about that. But to focus in on Derek Fassig specifically here, and I want to tie it into another heinous case and um, also what I consider to be a heinous false narrative being pushed by some leadership about kind of why these things are happening now, specifically in the Derek Fassig case, um, he's a Native American. His victims have all been Native American women. The uh, 2015 case or 2016 case, whichever one that was, he um, was charged with kidnapping and sexual assault and a bunch of other felonies in that case. What had happened in that case was he ended up luring a woman um, resulting out of the Standing Rock uh, encampments, protest encampments up there somehow. And she ended up with him after that, and he ended up sexually assaulting her, basically holding her captive and hostage. And she came forward at one point during the process after he was charged and was just outraged that 
um, prosecutors were apparently getting ready to dismiss a bunch of the charges against him. So, which they did, they ended up dismissing three or four of the charges, the sexual assault charges and some other charges I can't remember specifically. And then he ended up being convicted on the kidnapping charge alone. And of course, um, so she was a willing, a vocal, willing victim, willing to come forward and tell her story. And yet they still offered him a plea bargain uh, and dropped a bunch of these charges. So I, I think the excuse that prosecutors fall back on a lot is, oh, we don't have cooperative victims, so we have to make these plea bargains with these offenders, otherwise we wouldn't be able to get a conviction. But here you have that particular case where this victim was very vocal. She was willing to come forward and testify probably at court, but they still gave him this plea bargain, and then he was out a few years later. Um, so then, Tying that, um, sticking with this Native American theme here. So two years ago in 2020, there was a man named Sheldon Thompson and uh, he murdered a woman up on the Fond du Lac reservation. And I got digging into his uh, prior criminal history and it turns out he had a lengthy history of violent crimes. And at every turn of the corner in the criminal justice system, he was spun out the door with virtually zero consequences. I did a big post on this, and I can maybe put that up for people later. But um, then he ended up killing this Native American woman and her son up on the reservation. And I basically said in my post, this was a murder waiting to happen. And the reason I'm tying that into Derek Fassig, uh, Sheldon Thompson was also a Native male, and his victim was a Native American female. And I want to bring that up specifically because what we have now is our Lieutenant Governor, um, Peggy Flanagan, has started this task force a while ago called the Indigenous Women's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Task Force, looking into why Indigenous women are being murdered and, and harmed and disappearing. Well, if you look at the materials associated with Gov Lieutenant Governor Flanagan's task force, it focuses on everything but the problem, the, which is the perpetrator himself and the system that keeps spinning these men out through the revolving door, giving them plea bargains and allowing them to go back into society and continue harming women. So I want to call out those kind of false narratives that are being pushed by our very own people in government trying to um, misdirect away from the real problem. And the real problem is our lax system. And people need to understand that. These men shouldn't have been out. That's the bottom line. And that's right, the narrative, you're talking about pointing the finger at politicians, judges, the media. But I also think I don't want to bury the lead either about how much of a role the whole defund the police movement has played in what we're seeing now. Well, it's just weakened. I, I think it makes people or criminals or people with a propensity to criminal behavior look at the system and just say, look, it's weakened now. Even our, our leaders, quote unquote, and I always have to use the air quotes with that when I use that word too, because they're not leaders. They come out and they use these really um, negative narratives and they feed into the uh, bad police narrative and you know, kind of without without separating individuals out of that. Granted, there are some things in the system, the system in its entirety that need to change. It's, there's some things interwoven in there. I get that. 
But you have to separate that out and stop blaming police as a whole or, you know. Yeah, I was struck um, about some statistics Ramsey County provided me with when we um, were able to ride along with their cat team, their carjacking auto theft team, um, that every single one of the 60 arrests they've made in the course of five months, every person they have arrested except one fled the scene. They're not stopping. They're running. I mean, so the message has been taken. What's suppose yesterday, well, this is going to be delayed, but so, uh, on the 16th, or I don't know what day it was today, but on yesterday, Tuesday, I made a post where there was an Alfa Romeo taken in a carjack, an armed carjacking in Linden Hills on February 5th, I think it was. It was a rental car, somebody was in town visiting. Apparently, the guy had an Uzi, as it was described by the victim, in the middle of a Saturday afternoon at one o'clock, carjacked this Alfa Romeo and another vehicle. Well, so this Alfa Romeo has been out there traveling around for two weeks. I keep hearing dispatches about it. Police will see it. It gets away. Well, so yesterday they found it again in North Minneapolis. It was occupied rolling. And the officer following it, he was in an unmarked squad and he was waiting for marked squads to come and back him up. Meanwhile, the sergeant was also in the dispatch questioning about, well, when's the last time we saw this vehicle and that was actually involved with a weapons incident. Well, it turns out it was involved in a shooting in North Minneapolis the same day it was carjacked. So this is two weeks ago now. And the sergeant was like, well, the gun incident was two weeks ago, so we're not going to you know, um, approve the pursuit at this time because it's like, well, the guy carjacked it with an Uzi and they were involved in a shooting. And now two weeks later, he's still out there carousing around, still causing problems, and you're not going to allow this pursuit, and he's allowed to just drive away. Well, yeah. long story short, that he did, the suspect did bail out and was and ended up being captured inside someone's attic um, in North Minneapolis. But still, I mean, you've got these ridiculous policies that don't allow pursuits, and I get the danger of it. I, I get that it's a very dangerous thing to do. We've seen tragedies occur out of that. But there has to be some reasonable policy where you've got these armed criminals who have just no fear of anything anymore. And they know they can just step on the gas and get away. And how many crimes have been committed by the same guy in the last two weeks? So, And we know that Democrats and Republicans have all come up with their public safety plans. Uh, talking about that in St. Paul this year, of course, a huge issue going on. And that's kind of my question to you. Do you actually see light at the end of the tunnel at this point? Uh, can you point to something? If we do X, Y, Z, we're going to be in a, in a better place? Or do you feel like it's just more white noise? Uh, I, I do not see a light. I'm sorry to, to say that. And that may be disappointing to people, but this is something you can wave a magic wand over and have it change. Even if you did, let's say, wave a magic wand over and say, we're going to hire, in my mind, we need a thousand more police. We needed a thousand more police before this even started in Minneapolis. So let's say you waved a magic wand and said, we're going to hire a thousand police. Well, there aren't any police out there to hire. So they're not coming. It's going to be a trickling situation. This, like I alluded to before, this criminal justice system 
didn't come out of a vacuum. This has been building for years and years. We've had politicians and people in leadership positions actively working to weaken our system and not hold criminals accountable. If you waved a magic wand and said, we're going to change this, you've got to get a lot of agreement. This all happened with like in the legislature, in the Sentencing Guidelines Commission. All of this stuff takes a lot of time. It's not going to happen overnight, even if, and I have no hope that any of the important bills will get passed in the legislature this year because you aren't going to get the bipartisan um, agreement on some of these really important ones like uh, Novotny has a bill out there essentially turning uh, some crimes into a, a three strikes thing, kind of keeping criminals in prison. Well, Democrats aren't going to agree to that. So that bill's not going to go anywhere as, as much as I'd like it to. So nothing is going to change anytime soon. Now, that said, it does seem like a fair amount of people have been arrested and are being prosecuted. The feds have stopped stepped in to kind of um, take over prosecution on some of these bigger cases. So they're making a dent in some of the offenders, but there are new offenders taking their place all the time. As we're seeing, every time I, I see a big carjacking arrest, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe it'll slow down. It doesn't. There's new offenders taking their place. So, no, I, I don't see an end in sight. It's a long story short. But. I was guessing that was your answer, but it is still sad to hear that. I think disappointing for for many of us. Um, And I know that probably to keep your sanity, you have really a great sense of humor. That's why I've uh, drawn to your post for for many reasons, that being one. But we have a fun bingo game people can participate in, memes, um, I guess. Is that kind of how you keep saying that if you weren't laughing, you'd be crying all the time? Right. I mean, sometimes I get a little pushback on, you know, making fun of all this stuff or mocking it or the bingo games or whatnot. But really... It's just born out of the absurdity that this has become. I mean, if once you get to the point where you can make a bingo card out of things that keep happening over and over, you've got a problem. And so if it takes a bingo card with all of these absurd situations that keep happening over and over to get people's attention that something needs to change, then that's what I'm going to keep doing. Are you worried at all about censorship? I know that sometimes you've been kicked off a, a platform here and there, nothing nothing major, but yeah. does that worry you moving yeah. forward? I've suffered a few bouts of, you know, not being able to post for a few days here or there on one platform or the other. And it is tricky. Um, you know, Twitter's got all these new rules in place all of a sudden over the last couple of months about media and stuff like that, like pictures and videos. And so I'm a little worried about what I can and can't post as far as like suspect pictures, let's say. Um you know, surveillance video that somebody sends me. So I'm a little worried about that. I haven't had too many problems so far, but definitely worried about censorship. I get messages all the time, like, I'm not seeing your posts. I have to physically come to your page to look for them. So I definitely feel like something's going on where my material's being tamped down somehow. It's not free-flowing into people's... I have 56,000 followers on Twitter alone. Yeah, if you look at the interaction rate on posts that really should be getting a lot more interaction, it's less than 100 people. Huh. So I think somewhere along the line, I'm losing I'm losing uh, viewership or uh, visibility. We have to point out, too, that you're not doing this for money. You're, you, uh, you do accept donations. 
but you've received a, a lot of support and especially as of late for this for this critical service which is also kind of a head scratcher as to why why you do this <laughs> well right and like i said the whole thing was born out of my own passion uh, for something uh my my own values and my beliefs in right and wrong and that people should be held accountable so of course i was doing it for those reasons and i've done it for free this entire time um it was uh, two or three years ago now that one of my followers actually said to me, look, I want to support you. This work that you're doing is really, really important and you deserve to get paid for it. And he talked me into setting up the Patreon account, um, which I was, I was glad I did it because now uh, as time has gone on and, and everything has happened, I, I've gotten a few patrons on there that um, do have regular, it's a subscription thing. Basically. I, I don't put anything behind paywalls. I never will. Everything's always free to access, but if you choose to support me through that venue, you can do that. Otherwise, up at the top of the Twitter page, there's a tip jar or a, a link to the tip jars. But I am really grateful for the people that choose to place value on the information that I'm putting out there because it is actual work. It has turned into a full-time job. And then some. I was kind of explaining to you uh, before we started here that my own job did take a hit as a result of the COVID lockdowns. I was impacted. I lost several months worth of income. And then, of course, the riots hit after that, and I was really immersed in, in reporting and what I felt was really important information that people needed to know. It became a full-time job. And so I've been really grateful for the people who have stepped up to donate and support what I'm doing because it is essentially, it's a job now. It's my job now. And we're grateful and happy to say also that your work is featured on alphanews.org, so people can always check it out there. Yes, thank you. And I'm really grateful to Alpha News for giving me the platform um, to uh, boost my work. And they approached me three years ago and said, look, we've noticed what you're posting about, and we think people really need to hear what you're saying. So I'm grateful that they gave me that opportunity. And two final questions for you. Does anything surprise you anymore? And what helps you keep hope alive? Um, no, nothing really surprise, surprises me. And um, to be honest with you, I, I, I wouldn't say I have hope. I, I mean, honestly, I don't. I, I feel like we're going feet first into the wood chipper here, and all that's left now is the screaming. So I, I'm not sure that there's a lot of hope. And like I explained before, anything that's going to change is going to literally take years to turn around, especially with where we are now it's spread it's spreading outside of minneapolis and st paul into the second and third ring suburbs now so that's just the effect now of what's happening and that's going to take so long to reel that back in well it's going to take a while to reel back in that visual of the wood chipper who are like straight on the set of fargo right now but you know that and that's really what i appreciate uh is you know how candid you are and i think uh, a lot of us are just uh, grateful for that information, and we are so hopeful that you'll continue. Well, thank you. I appreciate you giving me the time to express my opinion and my thoughts. Thank you for being with us today. That will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. A special thank you to my podcast producer, Andy Schmidt. We are planning to be here often to keep meaningful Minnesota conversations going. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And finally, Make sure to share this. Give a five-star rating, no pressure, but please do. 
Have someone you'd like us to chat with or a story you'd like us to tackle? Email tips at alphanews.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.